0: Chris Kelser here with Matt Howell on this episode of the First Run. Matt and I are going to relive our Lo-Fi Glory Days. One like what the hell even was HD of the 90s with the experimental horror film that's dividing audiences across the globe, Skinamarink. Skinama skin Skinna Skin-a- Skinamarink. Correct. That's how it's pronounced. Yes. You know what it is? My head keeps going to Skinamax because that's <laughs> how old I am. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Has director Kyle Edward Ball Matt redefined horror cinema? Or is this just kind of a one-off, shiny little trinket that's easily forgotten? Then it's on to the Netflix adaptation of All Quiet on the Western Front, this time actually made by a German. Does the fervent anti-war message film carry through, or are we just kind of revisiting another 1917 debacle? I said debacle. There's the luminous yet refined rundown of the big releases on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. Then finally, Matt and I are going to close out the big show, with some impossible choices. It's the return of Call It. So settle in, folks. Bust out those Lego sets and don't get shot trying to steal some eggs, Dave. I'm going to bring back Dave every week now in some capacity saying, Dave, don't do this. Dave, don't do that. Don't get shot stealing some eggs. Let's hear a clip from Skinnamarink.
1: In
0: this house.
1: House. In, in this house, in this
0: house, in this house, Matt, what is
1: going on in this house? Well, um, besides being a flashback to Don't, is this the Don't version? Is this Don't that we that we wanted? <laughs>
0: I, I, I hope not. Well, not. yeah. Um, okay, so not that that's a slight against Skinnerink. No, I want to no point out. I'm no. not saying that this is bad because it's not Don't.
1: I mean, I will try and make this succ- as succinct as possible a um, sibling duo made up of a uh, young girl and a young boy, um, probably around six to four years old, wake up one morning and their parents are gone as well as all of the doors and windows to the outside world are gone from their house. And they're trapped in there and they're forced to just live out and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I think that's... (laughs) That's pretty much, I guess, my interpretation of the film as well. Matt, I guess the big big question I have for you about (laughs) Marink is, should we have watched Plane? No. My question is, does Marink ask too much of us as an audience? I don't think so. I think this is an experiment
1: in a particular kind of horror. And just based on the reviews and the kind of reaction of the audience, I think this is, you fall into one of two camps. You are either all in on this thing mm-hmm. and found it full of suspense and dread and apprehension, or you thought it was a bunch of art house navel gazing and you don't see what the big deal is. I weirdly enough, and I don't I'm curious to see where Chris lands on this, I'm in the former camp. I thought this was scary as shit. I was I thought this was a very Maybe the the most suspenseful movie I may have seen in a long, long time. Interesting.
0: All right. Well, oddly enough, I'm right in the middle. The, the the dividing line that you said does not exist. I am right in the middle. I am very happy that this exists. It is some great lo-fi goodness, and I really enjoy that kind of stuff. And there's like a whole genre of music that's like lo-fi that I got into a couple years ago that I like as well, right? So I'm on board with this. I like experimentation. I'm tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. And I think I respect this. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I loved all of it, but I think what works, works extremely well. I think there are long stretches of inaction and alternating imagery that I don't quite Think comes across as disorienting as Ball wants it to. I think the popping sound that accompanies objects dematerializing and materializing adds a little goofiness to the film that I think undercuts it at times. But in the end, I feel like that what Ball's trying to do is he's just walking us through kind of this kid's nightmare. At least what the experience of this maybe would be, right? If we were a kid with limited faculties or limited understanding of the world around us but i also think one of the key successes of the film that i think ball pulls off is that we're also experiencing this in our own kind of twilight of our own consciousness like we're we're in and out as the events are unfolding in this film as well right So it makes me wonder where there's long stretches of like nothing happening or we're just looking at a TV and the Legos get pushed around or a window will appear and disappear and just or we'll just have really weird crooked angles, which we're going to talk about. If that some of that stuff that I would almost call purposeful navel gazing half the time that it's happening is to maintain Mm. that twilight feeling. I'm not sure, Matt. What, what, right? So he's keeping us ever so slightly kind of disassociated from the experience when he does that. And then he just tugs the line, pulls us back in a little bit more again. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, there are scenes in this film that freaked me the hell out, that I found deeply unsettling. And if I ever see any of those goddamn toy phones, I'm going to kick it down the hallway. That probably was the most terrifying thing that I experienced in this whole movie. And there were plenty of moments that were, I think, unsettling.
1: So I think, um, so I started watching this thing, and in the first maybe 20 minutes, half hour, I'm like, oh no, this is bad. I, I picked a movie, and it's and it's not going it to be It takes good. its time. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But once this thing really kind of shifts gears, for me anyway, and I, I think I'm not alone in this, it, it just kind of builds in upon layers and layers of dread you know the whispers come upstairs or look under the bed and it and it's just it's so unnerving that i literally was having a physical reaction and like the the way that he builds it in in the kind of disorienting shots the kind of navel gazing it almost to me just like you said but it's more like he's just kind of giving you slack, right? You're just kind of waiting. What's next? What's next? And he just cups it, lets it go and go and go. And like, I was so apprehensive waiting for that other shoe to drop. Like I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't usually get scared at horror movies. I don't know why this was so, so disorienting and unsettling to me, but it, it was, it was, I don't think I've ever had, like I had a physical reaction to this thing. Um, my hair still on end multiple times. It was weird. But I it wasn't for everybody because I went at nine o'clock at night on a Sunday. There were four three other people in there and one of them got up about halfway up and just left. Really? <laughs> just he walked out, yeah. He just walked out. He was not having it. And I don't think the young couple, a couple rows in front of me, were really that impressed by it, um, as as I was getting up. But for me, yeah, I don't know. I thought this was it's it's almost as experimental and successful in its experiments to me as something like the Blair witch project was, but it's Mm -hmm. even more scary because I think why this is so successful is there's not really a narrative, right? It doesn't follow the predictable beats that you expect in a movie, right? It takes you out of the fact that it is a film, that it is a story. And it kind of just puts you in this own headspace and you're almost like viscerally experiencing it. I just, again, I think there's a lot of people who experience it the same way. And I think there's a lot of people who didn't. But, yeah, I I thought it was incredible.
0: Wow, look at you. So I saw <laughs> it on Sunday night and mm-hmm. as well. And I think I was in about a 45-seat theater. It was one of the smaller ones. And this is, though, the other recliners, right? So the big chairs. Mm-hmm. And I would say there's probably 30 people in there. So I was really impressed with the okay. turnout for this thing. And there was one kid who apologized to his friends for making them go see it because I thought it was supposed to be really <laughs> scary. And I'm like, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? This is really deeply unsettling. It's kind of scary moments in this thing. And then yeah. other people, though, like lots of whispers when the end came up, you know, all this stuff. I did I love the fact that it has this kind of, like you said, visceral reaction out of people. I was Mm -hmm. still, I kept going back and forth on it. I I, I think there's a lot more here to like than to dislike. And I did enjoy a lot of Ball's, the director's decisions on this. Like his refusal to give us kind of straight on angles for most of the time of the film. Very rarely, Mm -hmm. right? I guess, again, he's trying to jumble our expectations and kind of keep us off kilter the whole time. I would say you get me down to 85 minutes and I think you have an A film here. I think mm-hmm. that it may, just some of the drawn out stuff, especially in front of the television with the cartoons, may have been just a bit much for me. But you're right though. The the ambient sound in the film, there's the constant almost kind of static right from the lo-fi thing. But then just the the, the barely perceptible noises and the voices and the faces and all this stuff. And when he tells him to come upstairs or somebody does look under, like you said, look under the bed, put the knife in your eye. I mean, I've got to chill just repeating that line. I mean, I, it, it is. Yeah. Like I said, when it's on, it is on. So what's with the Legos? Can you explain the Legos thing to me? It's just it's just that whoever's possessing this house is just a big fan of Legos and Duplo blocks and shit.
1: I, I the way I took it was it was the the kids They brought their Legos out as their toy as they're trying to kind of keep themselves occupied, kind of see a sense of normalcy. As everything kind of unravels, they become, you know, they go from like a a city to basically they're all just kind of scattered all over the floor. And I think it's just an indicator of things getting worse and worse as time progresses in this house. I was just going to kind of piggyback on there that I think the use of grain, digital grain in this is fantastic. I can't tell you how many times he's gives you these kind of shots of just the darkness in the house, the shadows. And I'm straining so hard to see if there's anything in there. And the grain starts to play like Paradelio against your, you know, you start to see is like, is there something there? Like, it was like, is there something lurking just out of the side of this kid and me? And like, it was just, and then the light flicks on and there's nothing there. And it's like perfect, just the way they do that. Because I'm trying so hard. I'm like, wait, there's movement in that grain. There's something there. But yeah, it was good.
0: So I think it does the best with its budget, Matt. Do you know how much this thing costs to make? Fifteen dollars
1: $15,000. Wow, that's crazy.
0: And it's doing relatively well, given that. I think Shutter found this thing and gave it a run. I'm shocked how many theaters this thing is in. And I, and when I say shocked, I'm pleasantly surprised. And yeah, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving I'm going to give Skin Marink a B plus.
1: All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll allow that. I'm going to give it an A. I really, I really enjoyed the film, which will be really interesting to see how well it holds up to repeat viewings of not in a dark theater by myself, mm. basically, uh, with the, with the kind of surround sound experience there. But, uh. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk
0: about this a little bit uh, on quite on the Western Front. When I talk about the sound design and the experience, what I've started to do now that I'm, you know, that I watch stuff when I watch stuff at home is I always have my my nice like high tech kind of Sony headphones that wrap around your ears and then mimic surround sound and stuff too. And I can't recommend watching a movie that way enough. But it makes the immersion is so much more complete. And almost it makes horror films even that much more terrifying for me <laughs> when I watch them with the headphones on. <laughs> so I'd be curious to watch this like with those headphones on, with that stuff like directly on me. I wonder if how much more perhaps I would even hear. I think that smartly they provide subtitles sometimes to kind of mm-hmm. so you can actually see what they're saying. Because I got to admit, sometimes it would be kind of hard to make it out. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. All right. Any uh, final thoughts on uh, the Skinamarink, Matt? Uh, if it's still out there,
1: I encourage you to go check it out. Everybody's always complaining that there's nothing ever original. And then when something drops, people are like, it's terrible. No, they're wrong. Go check it out.
0: Yeah, I, I would say so. Skinner Marink is currently playing in limited release in a lot of theaters. You might be able to track it down. Mm-hmm. If not, since it's just a shutter release, I'm assuming it'll be in shutter in a month or two. Make sure you at least check it out there. But I still, horror is best experienced in a theater with a bunch of people. So if you can, check it out. Feedback at com. We'd love to hear your thoughts as always. Matt, coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, January 24th. I'll, I'm going to tease you, Matt. This is a uh, 4K disc that's going to be coming out. 4K. I don't think I've ever owned this in any media whatsoever. So maybe I'll be picking it up.
1: We... Uh... I have here a peculiar situation, Mr. Kersey. We find it necessary to make you a proposition, since you are not going to favor us by dying. You uh, work for a company with lots of offices. Get a transfer to another city, and I'll drop this gun in the river. Are we connecting, Mr. Kersey... We want you to get out of New York. Permanently, Inspector. By sundown.
0: <laughs> By sundown. That's right, folks. Death Wish is being released in 4K, along with Freaky Belly, and then Puppet Master Three: tolan's Revenge. So uh, if you're a fan of those bad bears, then now's your big old chance, as the kids say. Matt, nah, I think we only have four big releases this week we're going to tell you about. So, uh, but we know we, we do need to, we need to start things off properly, I believe, right? Four! So number four, Vestron's putting out The Dentist Collection. This is the uh, two horror films of Corbin Burton, where he plays the homicidal dentist. Includes, as I said, parts one and two with audio commentaries by director Brian Usna and uh, some what, interviews and more. I've never seen either of the dentist films, have you? I haven't, no. Yeah, all right. Well, neither of us have seen them, so there you go.
1: <laughs> but I remember the covers in the,
0: in the VHS. That's, that's, that's all I got, too. So uh, number three, then, three! is Anvil, the story of Anvil. This is a documentary about the Canadian heavy metal band, Matt that uh, was about to blow up big, and then just it never never happened. It's a brand-new 4K restoration of that one, and uh, three brand-new commentaries included, as well as a Q&A featuring the band and Steve-O, as well as some deleted scenes. So then I would say, hmm, I could go either way on this one. One or two, one or two. I'm going to go two for this one. The two Utes. Uh, uh, two what? Uh, what was that word? Two. The the word was two. Listen, we clearly need a replacement drop for two, so please hit us up and let us know. So I'm going to go Violent Nightmare. David Harbour stars as Santa Claus, who uh, has to kick some butt and save the day, includes some deleted and extended scenes and a behind-the-scenes featurette. And then finally... There can be only one. Number one is going to be from Shout Factory. Oh, I did forget one, so there was a fifth one. Son of a bitch. All right, let's do it right then, Matt. Number five. Number five? (laughs) So when you listen to this, just back up and go forward. Criterion is putting out this is not a burial, it's a resurrection. When her village is threatened with forest resettlement due to reservoir construction an 80-year-old widow, I always say that. Whenever I read the word widow, I say window. Finds a new way to live and ignites the spirit of resilience within her community. 2K Digital Master on this one, a new audio commentary and them... uh, some short films by the director, Jeremiah Mosesi So uh, you can pick that all up from Criterion. And then, as we said, Matt, number one, Shot Factory is putting out the Jackie Chan Collection, Volume 1. The Killer Meteors, Shallow Wooden Men, To Kill with Intrigue, Snake and, and Crane, Arts of Shaolin, Dragon Fist, Battle Creek Brawl, and Dragon Lord. All but Battle Creek Brawl, mech at 2K restorations and new audio commentaries. Dragon Lord gets a, uh, two cuts. Of the film, though, are included the 1996, excuse me, the 96 minute Hong Kong theatrical cut (laughs) and the 103 minute cut that was released in some territories that has about 15 minutes of extended or alternate footage. So uh, there you go, Matt. You can pick up some Jackie Chan goodness from Shout Factory. Your streaming pick of the week? I'm going with Program to Kill. Action greats Robert Ginty, who did The Exterminator and Exterminator 2, and Sandhal Bergman, who was in Conan the Barbarian and She. Square off for deadly combat, Matt, in this high-tech tale of lethal, beautiful killer android on a rampage of inhuman revenge. capturing a daring raid by ex-CIA agent Eric Matthews. <laughs> Miss Kinty, the most merciless terrorist hit woman, Samara Bergman, is brought to the U.S., Matt, where she undergoes experimental brain surgery. Transformed into an unstoppable bionic warrior, she returns to the Middle East where she obediently wipes out all of her former comrades. But when a malfunction reactivates Samara's human memories, Matt, she launches into a frenzy of cold-blooded vengeance. As she methodically terminates her CIA adversaries, only Matthews can halt her murderous onslaught. So, there you go. Program to kill. Big, uh... B action film, was it from the 80s? I can't remember, but you also, who also is in this, a very young Paul Walker. What should we be streaming this week? So, in advance of the
1: new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Knock at the Cabin, I decided to start catching up with his uh TV series on Apple Plus called Servant about a uh young couple who uh hires a young woman to be their nanny, live in au pair. And because it's an M9 Shyamalan joint, things go off the rails really quickly. I'm about halfway through the first season. There's four seasons. The new one that just came out is the last one, but I'm enjoying it so far.
0: I'm still trying to finish uh, Andor. Oh, really? You haven't? Uh, what have you thought of it so far? I've liked it a lot. I think i got one episode left, but I've uh, really enjoyed it. Though it seems to take a weird kind of sidestep for a few episodes when he's in the prison kind of resets everything. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it'll wrap up and mean something by the end. And then, uh, I've decided I'm going to skip the, uh, Nicholas Winding reference show on Amazon and go straight to the Netflix one. Cause I'm going to try and boost those numbers. And then I'll hit the Amazon one afterwards when I'm done with that, since they're not really related. So it doesn't really matter. I got to get those reference numbers up for my boy. So, all right, let's go ahead, Matt, keep rolling and spend a few minutes talking about all quiet on the Western Front. Hey, enjoy some German. <laughs>
1: Verschiebt sich das Granatfeuer nach vorne direkt
0: dahinter rückt die Infanterie nach. Was heißt das? Sie kommen. Such a beautiful romantic language that German, man. So, I just want to clarify to you: This is not the bad, bad, bad Germans. This is just the bad Germans. All right, things get exponentially worse.
1: <laughs> exponentially. <laughs> <laughs> but, and if
0: you're wondering what they're saying, basically what's happening in that scene is that they're being bombarded the uh Allied forces are hailing them with bombs, and then it gets real quiet, and then one of the guys asks why is it so quiet what's happening and he says -'cause they're advancing, they're coming, so that's kind of how that plays out Matt all quiet in the Western front is the German perspective of world war one we have a young 17 year old paul balmer who enlists he gets all jacked up by one of his school professors there to tell him that go to war and you'll be a great man and it's all going to be awesome and lots of ladies lots of fun and you're going to love it so go to war because things are not going well and they need more troops they're getting slaughtered Uh, well both sides are really but it's just basically a wholesale slaughter on the western front and what happens paul and his buddies get basically smacked in the face with reality right quick. And things go horribly wrong from there. Matt, this is an adaptation of the original novel. I've not seen the original film. Have you?
1: No, but I did read the book. Oh, you did? I did, So
0: how was this in regards to the book then? Was it pretty faithful? Or I know, from what I understand, one of the things that I guess I'm disappointed at is they excise the part where Paul goes home. And has trouble. He gets to get some leave or something. He has to go back. And then he realizes he can no longer identify and connect with people there. Because he's been so, what, just beaten up and just assaulted by what he's seen. That eventually, though, he ends up going back.
1: So I will say, it's been probably 25 years since I read that book. I read it when I was like in high school. And I remember really enjoying it. I thought it was an excellent book. Um, The ending is very different um Mm -hmm. so results the same but the circumstances are very very different um and then also there are you know different pieces of it um like you mentioned the fact that he doesn't go on leave and doesn't go home that are missing but i think overall it gets at least the tone of it um correct
0: yeah and i understand does it involve a butterfly in the book the ultimate ending of the film
1: yes from what i can remember i guess
0: that's what the original film ends the same way but, uh, alright. One thing, Matt, I'm watching this thing, is, first off, it's it, I was interested to see the, a German take on the film because the previous one was done here in the States. I think it was done by Universal Pictures. And I was curious to see what the German version would be like considering it's their story that's being told, basically. And I would say it is a harrowing account of the impact of war on people. And I think at no point which much like the book from what I understand is that it does not glorify war in any capacity. Uh, I still haven't seen the Russian film come and see, which I've owned on Blu-ray for about a year now, which is supposed to be, I guess is the definitive anti-war film. And that I think was more to do with world war two than, uh... but either way, watching this film, seeing these young brainwashed kids have no idea what they're getting into due to the force of the propaganda and some of the imagery in this, Matt, is so stark. Remember, when I talked about earlier in the show, too, I watched this with my headphones on. So the sound design with the explosions, uh, the bombs, the bullets, the people exploding. I mean, all of this stuff, it's very visceral. I, I have one of the more disturbing things I've ever seen in a film was when that one guy gets crushed by the tank. I, like, viscerally, I repelled in my chair. It was so unsettling to watch. And I think Berger, as a director, does a great job of recreating the battles. I think maybe because of the sound design in my headphones, but some deeply unsettling imagery, Matt. It felt almost suffocating at times, which I think is a real testament to how successful this film is. Uh, What was your experience with it?
1: Yeah, I thought it was quite um, good. Now, I have not seen the original. um, And what's interesting is I turn this thing on on Netflix, and they're all speaking English. I'm like, oh. thought this thing was in german but i apparently the dub was already clicked on so i just kept watching it and yeah yeah i just kept watching it in in the uh the dub version so it was kind of weird to hear i'm not sure how well it holds up as far as uh, it matches but i you know i still think um it was very interesting to kind of take this look at world war one whereas germany was the aggressor but based off of what came later they don't they were not kind of painted as evil. Um, and yeah, I mean, the images, I mean, the whole thing where, you know, these kind of new weapons of war, you see the tanks coming up, you see the French coming and burning everyone with flamethrowers, which is stuff nobody had ever seen the before. The gas and and like the the weapons that were used in this is what came up with the concept of like war crimes and the Geneva convention. Like this, it came out of what came out of world war one, what you could and couldn't do. And just to kind of see all the stuff that just these horrible mechanized ways to kill each other and how fruitless it was to fight over, you know, a few hundred yards of shelled out dirt. Um, yeah. I mean, they would move forward and you could barely even tell that they had made any progress. Cause it would be exactly the same where they ended up compared to 1917, I think this is much, much better. Oh,
0: yeah. I Sam Mendes' Activision-based film, I'm not a huge fan of. So, yeah, this is a much better, more fascinating, more engaging experience. Uh, I would also say, like, I love the score for this. It's very stark and violent, the music. And it's just kind of this pounding crashes, and it's just really... It almost evokes, like, a horror film atmosphere while you're watching this thing, which I think is, perfectly suits everything there's also other just terrifying scenes or least deeply unsettling like the recycling of the uniforms as you watch the progression basically of the meat grinder-esque way that the war happens and how it all it's just horrifying man. absolutely horrifying you're just struck by how young all these kids are he's 17 years old they're all in their late teens going through this and in the final the finale in the end when the general fredericks just the armistice has been declared. You basically have to sit tight for a few hours, but he wants that one last victory and pushes them yeah. back in to the war zone. And Balmer just kind of resigns himself to his fate. I mean, he's just, he's gone at this point. You can see it, the lack of life and soul in his eyes at that point is that he's just officially given up. And it is really just unsettling and, but deeply effective and moving as well it yeah i don't know what to tell you matt it is one of the more visceral war films i've seen i think just what we're able to do now with technology makes this stuff to that much more hyper realistic and upsetting so yeah
1: yeah so i mean i think that's one of the big deviations and when i watched it i was kind of struck was the end so spoiler alert for a hundred year old novel but um so the way that the original book the book ends is essentially um Paul is killed the armistice is signed the peace treaty hasn't stopped yet but nobody's fighting and he's just killed by a sniper taking a pot shot and like the the literally it's completely pointless there's no charge there's nothing like that and and basically I think he is like one of two casualties on the last day of the war and it's like that's the report is it's all quiet on the Western front because they were the only two people who've been killed. And so it's a much different kind of beat than what it actually, the film actually ends. Wow.
0: I think that's a much more powerful ending.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. I can't figure out why they did it the way they did it. Um, Maybe for like the last kind of great, uh, you know, I, I guess action scene, which is fantastic, but I, yeah, I don't really know. Why they decided to go that way instead of sticking to the source material.
0: Another thing they introduced in this film, I guess it wasn't in the original movie, and I don't know, Matt, if you recall if it's in the, in the book, is the introduction of the armistice subplot when the German leadership goes to f- speak with the French and the Allies to kind of negotiate the peace. And uh, what, what's most re- interesting on that is I'm on the fence about its inclusion in the film. Because I think it works as well as it does because of the hindsight that we have as to what it ended up happening because of that. Now, though I guess likely foresight at the time, if you were there, I don't know. <laughs> but either way, I think it feels, if anything in the film feels this way, it felt cheaply manipulative to me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because this is written from a, or filmed from a German perspective, it's pretty well known that after the first world war, the other nations like France, they really stuck it to the Germans. They were like, you're the aggressor you lost. We're going to punish you and drive you into the ground. And it completely caused their economy collapse. And they had like years and years of being destitute in Germany. And that's what allowed for the rise of Hitler and Nazism because he made these promises to, bring germany back to being prosperous and it's interesting to kind of see since this thing is made from a german perspective like the kind of almost how they portray like the french and the other allies Mm -hmm. being like oh you you, look what they've driven us to kind of thing
0: i don't know if i went that far but i mean Mm -hmm. historically it's accurate that that's
1: yeah that is what happened but it's it just you're right that is a hundred percent what happened but it almost seems like I mean, obviously the germans almost seem like sheepish and apologetic kind of thing whereas the french seem like these kind of you know very imperious like you know we're going to punish you kind of thing yeah which they probably deserve because obviously this they just invaded france you know what else are you gonna do but it's interesting i don't i don't know that there were some subtext that i'm maybe just adding to it at
0: that point <sighs> possibly i don't know you're a really brilliant guy though so who knows so all right Matt what are your final thoughts on all quiet in the western front what are you going to give this bad bear as a grade
1: um I'm going to give it a B plus I really enjoyed it I think they the parts where they did veer off from the um, source material especially the end I'm not sure why they did it I don't think it was necessary but overall I think it's it's quite good
0: yeah I'm agreeing I'm in agreement with you lockstep you and me we're like Germany and Italy and Austria and, and probably not
1: can we go with Can we go with U.S. and England? How about all right, that? we'll do that. Like, we'll, be, yeah. <laughs> we'll, do, yeah. we'll be the yeah. U.S. and England on this one. <laughs> That's
0: probably a good call. B-plus is all around. The All Quiet in the Western Front 1922 version is currently available to stream on Netflix. If you've got a chance to see it, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's go ahead and close up the big show with a round of call it. I went super old school with this. And in fact, I was, as you all know, I like to have movies on sometimes and I'm cooking baking doing the dishes and i didn't i only got about 40 minutes into it but matt this is what we started to do this past weekend
1: hey woman hey woman listen here since your old man ain't got no heart maybe you'd like to see a real man i bet you stay up late every night dreaming you had a real man don't you i tell you what bring your pretty little self over to my apartment tonight and i'll show you a real man you want to you get out, you get out.
0: That is Clubber Lang being wholly inappropriate with Adrian Balboa in uh, Rocky 3. So, uh, yeah, I guess started watching Rocky 3. We haven't gotten to the first fight yet. Uh, Mickey has had his first heart attack, I guess. Actually, the fight's about to start, and that's when I kind of had to move on.
1: It has one of my favorite lines of, I think, literally any 80s movie when they're interviewing Clubber Mm -hmm. Lang. And they go, "What do you? What are your predictions for the fight?" And he just looks at the camera, pain. <laughs>
0: that is a good one. Oh, Mister T. I was going to use that clip, but that's it's. Nah, I didn't feel like it was long <laughs> enough to. Not that, of course, we just had twenty seconds of him uh, verbally assaulting Adrian. So, <laughs> either way, all right, Matt. My first call it for you, Rocky or Rambo?
1: <sighs> so the Rambo First Blood people forget this based on what, what Rambo became was actually a well-received yeah. film. Like I think people really no like, critically acclaimed, yeah. um, but Rocky, especially even in its later incarnations, is just too damn fun. It's it like, it like, it's just, I, I can't not have clubber Lang. I cannot have, I, I can't live without a world without Ivan Drago yes. in it because I need that. So I'm mean, going to have to go with Rocky.
0: I agree with you. I think, yeah. Rambo, I mean First Blood is fantastic. Rambo First Blood Part 2 is just one of those just icons of 80s cinema. Part 3. Yeah. I have a weird affection for Part 4. I do. I don't think I can quite expect. it. I don't think it. I've ever
1: seen Part 4.
0: Oh, that one's it's it's pretty intense. It would have okay. some pretty sketchy CGI blood in it. But overall, it's when he rips the throat out of that one guy, it's it's <laughs> it's something. And then the last one, Blast yeah. of blood.
1: It was nasty. It was it was mean. I'll give it that much.
0: Yeah, I guess. But Rocky, you have a, most of them are very good, and at the very mm-hmm. least, just wonderful entertainment. Yes. So I haven't watched Part Five since the theater, so I don't know if that one would still hold up to this day. But um, yeah. I know I remember enjoying Rocky Balboa and then one two and three and four i mean just come on they're all great so yeah i'm with yeah. you i would have to go with uh Balbo.
1: yeah um i mean come on how can you not have Dolph lundgren doing that weird mountain climber thing <laughs> to his 80s montage i don't even know what that was um all right so chris here's an impossible score choice for you okay morricone or herman
0: that's so funny. I actually had this on my list at one point, but I took it off because I thought we'd done it before. Uh-huh. But um that's fine. That's fine because I do I do vacillate. I do go back and forth sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but I think where I always end up is Marconi. I think that's where I end up. I, could, I don't know. Cuz the love theme from Vertigo is one of the most beautiful pieces of music I think I've ever heard. I love that thing. Mm-hmm. Psycho mm-hmm. in its simplicity is fantastic. Uh, yeah, no. I just think yeah, I. In the end, I think I go Enio. I have to, just the spaghetti. Not even the spaghetti Western stuff, though. But um, Battle of Algiers, the the thing. Mm. I mean, he just. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going uh, my boy Marconi. What about you? Um,
1: hmm. I think I'm gonna go Morricone as well because. The ecstasy of gold is yes. so damn good. It's so good.
0: I listen probably to more more than I do Erman, too. Mm-hmm. Especially the uh, I have a I have a mix CD of the of the uh, Dollars trilogy, so it's like all the best ones from all three, which is just fantastic. Plus the first two, there's not a lot there. There's a mm-hmm. few kind of pieces kind of reused over and over. So, but yeah, but the awesome, but the good, the bad, and the ugly score is legendary. Oh, of course, uh, once upon a time in the west. Is yeah. It's just a work of art. That score. It is beautiful. So, yeah, I listened to that one probably the most out of all of them, if I'm being honest. All right, Matt. We're all big f- fans of Tom Hanks around here. We're mm-hmm. uh, not going to go see A Man Called Otto. But in honor okay. of that film, Splash or Bachelor Party?
1: Oh, wow. Bachelor Party is one of those really kind of maybe one step over the acceptability line Mm -hmm. these days (laughs) um but i remember really liking it where a splash seems very forgettable i remember watching it when i was a kid but i don't i can barely remember anything about it except for her turning into a mermaid in the bathtub yeah and like just chewing on the lobster shells i'm gonna go bachelor party and probably just, yeah, I'm going to go Bachelor Party, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's the right decision. I think Splash yeah. is fun. It's <clears throat> romantic. It has its moments. John Candy is a blast in it. If, if I were to go... Candy's really the only one that would push me over the edge to go with Splash. But in the end, I think Bachelor Party and all its 80s raunchiness and ridiculousness when they're at this male strip club and the hot dog scene. I mean, the donkey. <laughs> I mean, all of that stuff. The uh, the pimp. I mean, you, there's... Yeah. yeah. It's really wholly inappropriate, but it is, I think, still pretty damn funny.
1: It is. Um, okay, so I here's a little interesting tidbit I learned. John Travolta was supposed to play Bill in, in Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. Hmm. Um, he he couldn't get out of his Welcome Back Cotter contract. So, for the running who were going to play, who were in the running to play, Jim Caviezel's character, Wit, in the Thin Red Line, call it, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, or Matthew McConaughey?
0: Oh, wow. That's, wow, I don't know. I don't want to hold Caviezel's turn off the deep end against him the last few years. (laughs) That guy's nuts. Did you hear, too, they're doing a new, uh, they're doing a sequel, supposedly, to uh, Passion of the Christ?
1: How are they going to do that?
0: I think it's the, I don't know, the stuff after. He's going to appear to a bunch of people, and then maybe... Come to America and start the Mormon Church. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea, <laughs> but that's their talks of it anyway. Um. All right. So my options were for the Caviezel carrier to I still think he was quite good in that, though. But
1: yeah, I'm just saying that those those three guys were also in the running to play Depp, that pit
0: and McConaughey. Huh. Yeah. I think at that time. Mm-hmm. I would probably go Depp. I mm-hmm. think that Pitt wasn't there yet with his dramatic chops. I think really, mm-hmm. and okay. McConaughey was. I think once I heard people, someone say about, "Hey McConaughey, remember it's a uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint." <laughs> but because he didn't really take his dramatic turn until much later when he was older. So yeah. I don't. I don't know. I yeah, yeah. I think. If we excise all the shit about Depp, we know now too with the Amber Heard thing. I mean, let's not—I don't want to get into that. But I think I would have to go the actor at that time, Malik's making the film. I probably would have mm-hmm. go Depp.
1: Yeah. Okay. Weirdly enough, <clears throat> I think I would go with McConaughey. I think he brings a little bit more of a kind of bumpkin hayseed sensibility to it mm. that I think could have worked really well. That's um, interesting. You know, uh, as opposed to kind of the, um, like, tortured hippie artist that Kabizel uh, and Depp could have brought to the thing. Whereas, Pitt would have been like a vacant surfer at
0: that time. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know that the first time McConaughey does the sideways look with the chewing gum, like, <laughs> you know, I feel like that would have taken you right out of it.
1: Are you think? I think he could have reined in his, some of his... Uh... I don't think he would have dropped an all right anywhere.
0: All right. You could have, you could have his, uh, his uh, mustache from uh, what you call it there, the uh, Linklater film. No. He has to be clean shaven for this. All right. Fair enough. All right, Matt. Good luck with this one. You ready? Okay. Yep. De Niro or Pacino?
1: Ooh, De Niro. Not even close. Wow. Not a second yeah. thought, huh? No, no. Here's the thing. Al Pacino's 70 output is so good. It is so good. Like, he is fantastic as Don Corleone. But, but, then he devolves into hoo-ha! Like, all that stuff? Forget it. No way. No way. His later output completely sinks it
0: for me. I don't... It's not that easy for me. Because... I... Yeah. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) Come on, do it, Chris. Do it. I'm not not your little monkey. I'm not here to... (laughs) bang the cymbals
1: but when you're talking about uh when you're talking about al pacino
0: yeah. <laughs> you got a great ass I, I yeah, you right. need
1: to have that on a drop at I all times ready to go
0: <laughs> i mean i uh, i mean listen he, serpico godfather dog day afternoon scarface cruising you know, I just picked up, though, I don't I think I've never seen the whole thing. Carlito's Way was five bucks on iTunes, so I just picked mm-hmm. it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Gary, I love his Ricky Roma so much. But then you got Bobby D. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think you might be right. But I hate those, those Fokker films,
1: Matt. I know. But he kind of fell off like when he was in his. 70s, so I guess if the man wants to make some comedy for a change, I guess let him. I suppose.
0: <sighs> I do love his delivering Copland. You blew it. <laughs> they're both in Heat. Maybe we can just—I don't know. Well,
1: they're both in Godfather Two, for that
0: matter. Yeah, but not together.
1: Well, not together. True.
0: Goodfellas is pretty good
1: yeah casino's pretty good too
0: casino's okay. Raging bulls all right, <laughs> yeah deer hunter, taxi driver Ooh, it's pretty yeah. good <laughs> Yeah. weird, I don't know what to do. He's great jackie brown yeah, uh, yeah, man, I don't know that's tough, yeah, so who would then play who would you have play uh corleone then if uh it's not Al who was up for the role? is it somebody else up for the role, and I don't know, maybe. I think, look it up. too, that, um, look it up, uh look it up. Let's see. I <laughs> thought it was, I know J- Jimmy Kahn, I think, wanted the role, but I thought they had somebody else in mind. The studio wanted somebody else, and Cop- mm-hmm. Coppola was like, I'm not doing it if I can't use Al. Man, there's stuff about Brando here. Who's that? Is he good? Brando.
1: Uh, so let's see. Almost cast in the Godfather it says Martin Sheen as Michael Corleone.
0: Paramount wanted Warren Beatty or Robert Redford. Robert wow. Evans wanted Ryan O'Neal. But Pacino was Coppola's favorite. They thought he was too short. They also were interested in Dustin, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Martin Sheen, and James Connell auditioned. <laughs> Burt Reynolds was offered the role. Really? But Brando threatened to quit if they hired Reynolds, so Reynolds turned down the role. (laughs) Jack Nicholson, but he turned it down because he felt that an Italian American needed to play the role.
1: Frank Sinatra as Vito Corleone. Man, (laughs) crazy! I know what could have been.
0: I cannot see. Imagine Redford or Beatty. It just doesn't work. Ryan O'Neill, especially not Ryan O'Neill.
1: Yeah. Oh, how about this one? Elvis Presley as Tom Hagen.
0: <laughs> God, so much cocaine. Um, I can't imagine Burt Reynolds. All I could do think of is Norman McDonald doing Burt Reynolds doing Michael Corleone. See, uh, the, what I'm reading here says Burt Reynolds
1: was considered for Sonny Corleone.
0: Oh, am I misreading that? No, it says Wikipedia says Michael, so that has to be true.
1: <laughs> it has to be.
0: <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. Mm-hmm. So
1: interesting. Casting what if. So obviously, you know, we want the one with Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley in it. That's the one that's yeah, that's the real godfather that we should have gotten
0: that we robbed of. As long as they both sing in it, yes. yes. <laughs> Alright, any more? You gotta close this out?
1: Yeah. Um so pick the cruise film. Top gun Maverick or MI Fallout?
0: Oh i uh, I'm gonna I'm I think I'm gonna go Fallout. Mm, Even that's though incorrect. I- you think so? It's incorrect. Yeah, it's incorrect. Why bro. is it incorrect?
1: Because Top Gun: Maverick's way better. Fallout's great, but Maverick's better.
0: I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, the whole the problem with with Maverick is that the whole conceit of the film proves the opposite and opposite point. The whole what? film. The, the whole thing is that. You can't have a drone do this job when, if you think about it for two seconds, a drone would be the exact right thing to do, use to use, do that job. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, if you want to put it that way for a supply you know, against the impossible mission force, sure. Sure.
0: And I probably <laughs> wouldn't call in the impossible mission force before I'd call in an aging pilot who uh, does nothing but get in trouble.
1: I mean, so you're going to call in an, an aging secret agent for a... Uh, a a uh, completely fake
0: uh imf sure i well, listen you know you have an issue ethan hunt occasionally loses nuclear material <laughs> just several times i mean he's only been called into question
1: what six or seven times i like that too, he's had to clear himself yeah and
0: i like too that i think that i don't <laughs> think i think outside of the first film have they ever actually gone on a mission like they've been like rogue for like four out of like six films or something like that it's crazy
1: the last one was a mission. Was Fallout? Was it was to get the? Was well, that they, mission?
0: Have, they were At the beginning. It was, but then they were sidelined because they yeah,
1: screwed so, up. dude, those guys should have been disavowed right. like seven
0: movies ago. They've been. They shouldn't even been like, in the first three one. times. Mm-hmm. That's about you. Should, that's about you should, the, the last bunch of James Bond movies too. I don't think he went on a mission outside of the first movie. The rest of the time, mm-hmm. he was like getting revenge or screwing up or doing something else. Anyway. They should have you writing in that stuff, Chris. I think so. Maverick over Fallout. I mean, I don't know, man. I I th- I think I think it's Fallout. I think I would I enjoy that film more. It really what it is, it's your,
1: uh you stand for Henry Cavill and you just are not on board with Miles Teller. Is that really what it is? That's
0: probably part of it. I I yeah. miss not having a a remake of Take My Breath Away. I think that was a mistake. <laughs> Just to play it over and over and over again. We need more Kenny Loggins, I think mm-hmm. was a there was definitely not enough Kenny Loggins.
1: I don't know why they weren't
0: playing playing with the boys while they were playing football. Yeah. I...
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know what's funny too about Maverick is it doesn't get any of the hate that like uh Star Wars does. The the um the first one, the J J. Abrams one, where it's basically just a remake of the first film. Because mm. a lot of Maverick is just a redoing of stuff from the first film. Like the first half of it. Right.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think you know, as popular as Top Gun was, there's not like a church of Top Gun,
0: like there is a church of Star Wars. True. Yeah, maybe there should be.
1: A church of Top Gun? Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe there that's should. what we need.
1: We need some good old fashioned American pride. That's what, really what we're missing mm-hmm. these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's our big problem is <laughs> jingoism. <laughs> What are your thoughts on the call? It's folks. What would you choose? Shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. Matt, did I update the calendar? Is there anything in there for
1: next week? Um, we're going to see Missing um, the pseudo follow up to that uh, other movie that we watched Yeah. About yeah. social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I'm drawing a blank on. Uh, searching. Second one, searching. That's it. Thank you. Um, second one up in the air. We have a long list, though. So. We can plug something in there.
0: Oh, yeah. We'll find something. And in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. Head on over to uh, the actual website, thefirstrun.com. You can see the old report card, which is, I think, about six months out of date. And then uh, download or watch or watch or listen to all the old episodes. The full archive is up there, folks. Even the bad tech ones with the poor microphones and the super secret Dave ones. So, you can listen to all of those there. And then finally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'd really appreciate it. In the meantime, let's go ahead and take an extended break. We love you very much. We will see you soon. Take care of yourselves. Later. Creed appears to be in very serious condition. The man died. The, commission, the commission, huh? He does.